Hey, what's up, living room? How you guys doing? Good, yeah. Thanks for coming out. Thanks for not clapping for me. That's super weird. Hey, what's up, guys? How are you? Um, hey, I, I really, I probably should say before you even jump into this whole thing, man, I'm super stoked to be here tonight. I don't get to come a lot, and, um, but, but Samra's right. I mean, four or so years ago, we had this idea to start this thing, and he's super generous and always tells me, you know, gives me all this credit, but I mean, the reality is I had an idea that we should do something but it's Samer and the team, and then you should know it's all of you that created the living room and has created kind of what's happening here, kind of in this and through this, and so you should all just feel proud to be a part of this, and especially if you've been around for a while, you know? Um, I doubt any of you have been around since the time that we met in the university rooms back at uh, KSU. Anybody remember any of those days, a few of you? Yeah, there were only like 12 of you there, so I mean, that's... You know, I was telling Samer earlier, my favorite memory is like, we were in the university room and I was kind of speaking that night. And we got to like this really powerful moment and then right beside us uh, was another room that had like that folding door. So it was not even, I mean a wall, it's not even like a real wall, it's like paper. And like right beside us, there was like a Michael Jackson dance contest happening. <laughs> And I'm telling you, man, like I got to this one moment in the song and the message and all of a sudden like beat it, just dropped right beside us. And I thought, we gotta move, this is not gonna work. So anyway, thanks for creating this thing that we call the living room, man, and being a part of it. It's cool to be here. Hey, so we're in this series, right, called Big Little Lies. And in this conversation, um, if you think about lies in general, especially ones that we tell ourselves, the, those are the hardest ones to be honest with, right? The, the big lies we tell ourselves are the most difficult ones to kind of root out of our lives, are the most difficult things to kind of deal with in our lives because you know if you begin to be honest with yourself and stop lying to yourself, it means that it exposes something that you have to deal with, right? So the majority of people never deal with the stuff that's in their heart that they're lying to themselves about because it's just really difficult to deal with that, right? And people know that it's gonna be painful. It's gonna be difficult to deal with it. So, I mean, I guess first, kudos to you for being here tonight, knowing we're talking about big little lies. Um, the good news, I guess, is that what we talk about tonight, you can completely ignore and do nothing with. And uh, that's an option. The other option is to kind of deal with what we're going to talk about. Um, uh, kind of good news, bad news, I guess, again. Um, what we're going to chat about tonight is going to affect every single one of you. It already is affecting every single one of us. Uh, we just don't all know how it's affecting us. We don't really know that it's affecting us. And we don't really know what to do with it. So we're gonna kind of go a little deep in our heart tonight. I hope that's okay. Um, I'm gonna be crazy vulnerable though. I'm gonna tell you a lot about my heart and some things that I've learned. And hopefully maybe just through my experiences, you can dig out some stuff before you are an old person like me. That'd be super helpful for you. So um, this whole kind of thing for me started uh, maybe three or so, I guess, years ago. Um, I, I went to this leadership conference and uh, usually when you go to a leadership event, leadership conference, you hear from a bunch of speakers and kind of sit in a big room and it's, I mean, you know, it's kind of dark and you take notes and you go home and then you kind of put the book on the shelf and never do anything you heard. That's what happens at leadership conferences. And so I thought this would be the same thing. It was also in California, pretty close to Disneyland. And I thought, well, that's a win, you know, and it's always 80 degrees there. So another win. So I left to go out to uh, this area of California, uh, landed for this leadership conference. I didn't really realize that it, it wasn't a, a leadership conference per se. It was really more of a leadership therapy session disguised as a conference. I don't know if you've ever been into a therapy moment before or been to counseling before. Side note, you all should at some point go to counseling because you're all jacked up. You just don't know that yet. So, um, and it's your parents' fault, okay? But you should still go. And so, um, and they should pay for it because it's their fault. So um, when, when I went to this 
fake leadership conference that was actually a therapy session. Uh, the conference was called the Ultimate Leadership Workshop, but that sounded safe. The tagline didn't sound safe. I didn't really pay attention to the tagline until I got there. Here, here's what their tagline is. It's helping you discover what's holding you back. Now, when you hear that tagline, you think, oh, that sounds good, because if there's something holding you back in life, if there's something kind of holding you back in relationships, you probably want to know. The problem is finding out can be painful, and then you got to deal with, with what you find out. So at this leadership conference, really therapy session, that's what we did. For five days, listen to this, for five days, we pretty much spent the entire time sitting in a circle with eight people and a therapist. And you'd go sit in the room and the therapist would look at you as a group and go, would anybody like to share something this morning? And then you just sit there for like an hour. And eventually somebody says, okay, and then they share something, you know, and then we're like, ooh, that's got some problems over there, you know? And so we, we, we don't wanna share, it's super weird, you know? And so this went on, man, I'm telling you, it went on for five days. Like I heard the phrase, so how does that make you feel? So many times, you know, like I came home for about six months. Every time I saw somebody, they go, oh my gosh, I had a Chick-fil-A sandwich. I was like, how does that, how does that make you feel? You know, it makes me feel delicious. You know, that's how it makes me feel, you know? And so we would sit in this kind of therapy thing and the therapist would always say, you know, who would like to share something? So Wednesday morning, uh, I go to this kind of circle therapy deal and I sit down. The therapist says the same thing that they always do, you know, hey, so would, would anybody like to share something, you know, to, to get us started? And I'm like, no, I think, think we just wanna go to Disneyland, like we think we're good. So we sat there, it felt like forever, it's probably like, I don't know, 60 seconds. And eventually I said, okay, I'll, I'll share something. And so I started talking for a second, you know, and, and you know, a few minutes in, the therapist goes, hey, Gavin, can you, can you hold on a second? And I was like, sure, you know, yeah, that's fine. She goes, would you be willing to kind of do something kind of here in the group? And I'm like, no, I would not be willing to do that, you know? But I told myself before I got to this therapy thing that like I was gonna go with it. Like my personality is not this like, but I, I was like, I'm gonna go with this thing. I'm gonna kind of be open and follow instructions and try to figure out what's wrong. And so, so I said, sure, you know, what, what do you want me to do? She goes, okay, Gavin, I want you to stand up and I want you to stand in the center of the circle. And I was like, okay. So I stood in the middle of the circle and she said, would it be okay if we all stood up around you and kind of put a hand on your shoulder? And I'm like, yeah, I know, I know where this is going. I mean, I'm a pastor. I know where this is going. We're all about to put a hand on me and pray for poor Gavin because he's so messed up. So we're gonna pray for Gavin. I'm like, yeah, come on, put your hands on my shoulder. You know, that's it, but right here on my shoulder and go ahead, pray, you know. So, so the therapist, you know, kind of stands up with everybody and puts a hand on my shoulder and then she does something I'm not expecting, right? The therapist says, okay, Gavin, I want you to start taking these hands kind of off of your shoulder one by one. And as you take each hand off, I need you to name one thing that you are. So I thought, okay, um, there's like eight or nine hands, you know what I mean? I'm like, okay, I'm a, I'm a, a husband. That's one thing I am. Um, I'm a pastor. I'm a father. And like, that's three. And I got like six more to go. And I'm running out of stuff, you know? So then I'm kind of starting to make up stuff, like I'm a speaker, because I wear mics sometimes. Um, oh, I help other churches a lot. They call and ask me questions. I'm a consultant. And I'm still got a lot more to go, you know? So I started kind of panicking. In fact, here, here, here's what we should do for a minute. Um, we're, let's do this. Any of you want to come up here? I'm just kidding, I'm not gonna do it that way. But, but here's what I want you to do. Like, think, think about 
Think about this, this in a second. Well, let me, let me tell you, as I was taking the hands off, right, the therapist, she goes, okay, these hands, these hands kind of represent who you are. So as you're taking them off, like these hands are, are things that you are. Now, now, here's what I want you to do for a second, right? I, I want you to just turn around, you have to come up here or whatever, turn around and talk to some people around you for a minute. And here's what I want you to do. I want you to answer the question, who are you? Okay, the question, who are you? Answer that question. I wanna give you like two or three minutes, okay? Don't have to come up with nine of them. Just come up with like two or three of them. Can you do that? Look around the room, talk to the people around you, answer the question, who are you? How would you answer that? All right, a few more seconds, few more seconds. All right, you guys ready? Here we go. All right, so you've been thinking about who you are, you've been talking to people about who you are. You guys ready? All right, here we go. Now, when I did this, I wrote down a few things, like father, husband, pastor, I kind of made up some stuff. I, I'm gonna add a few more things to the list though, so like anybody wanna yell out something that you just answered, who are you? Student, yeah, <laughs> some of you, not all of you, okay. I mean, you may be in college, but that doesn't make you a student. Okay, student, all right, what else? What? Coach, what do you coach? Oh, cool, okay, coach. That's a good one, what else? Athlete? Hey, is anybody, uh, is anybody like a boyfriend, girlfriend? <laughs> That's a good one. Raise your hand if you're not, look around the room. Okay. Um, all right, give me, give me one more. Sexy? All right, I like that. All right. Those are good ones. Even the last one. It's questionable, but it's good. I like that. All right. Now, check this out. When, when we start thinking about who we are, this is the kind of thing that we come up with. It always is. Like, you could ask anybody, like, hey, who are you? And you're gonna get these kinds of answers. And, and the reason, the reason we answer that way is because we are so tempted to kind of define who we are by what we do. Like, in our life, who we are almost always defines, uh, I'm sorry, what we do almost always defines who we are. And that's kind of how it's always been. I mean, think back to when you were, like, little, when somebody came up to you when you were like two years old and they're like, hey, what do you wanna be when you grow up? You were like, oh, I wanna be sexy. Like, no, I'm just kidding, you didn't say that. But, but when, when somebody said, what do you wanna be when you grow up? You answered, you answered based on what you want to do. Like, I want to be a policeman. I want to be a superhero. Like, my answer was, I wanna be Tom Cruise and fly an F-14 Tomcat. I don't wanna get shot down, but I wanna fly the airplane, you know? 
Like, I want to be a princess. I mean, not me. I don't know if you were a girl or I don't know what other girls would answer. Maybe girls would say policemen or firemen or president, right? I don't know. But we would always answer this question based on kind of what we would do. Who we are was always kind of defined by what we do. Now, another way that we could kind of define this, or maybe we would say that who you are It's your identity. So, so who you are is actually your identity. And, and I guess it, it's kind of okay for the most part if your identity is wrapped up in the things that you do, right? The, the, the problem, though, is that the things that you do sometimes change. And, and there's some problems when it comes to your identity being defined by the things that you do. Now, let me, let me kind of give you an example. Like, Let's say your identity is a student, but then you graduate. That's a good thing, right? But, but, but now your identity has to change. Let's say that your, your identity is single, and then you find somebody to date you. It took a long time, but you finally, you know. But you found somebody to date you. Now your identity is different, right? You went from single to, to girlfriend, from single to boyfriend. It's a change. Maybe it's a good change. It feels good. Maybe it even leads to one day being a husband, being a, a wife. That, that's not a bad thing. I and mean, that's a good thing, right? But it changes your identity. So therefore, your identity isn't really kind of stable. It, it's changing. But, but it also means that it could be kind of fragile. I mean, think about this for a minute. If your identity is a pastor like me, but let's say that things don't go well in your church and you have to not be a pastor anymore. Well, what happens to your identity? Let's say your identity is a student and you fail and you can't be a student anymore. Now your identity is, is kind of gone. Well, let's say you're a boyfriend or a girlfriend and things don't work out and your identity was wrapped up in, in who you are because of what you're doing, but now what you're doing is, is changing, you know? Hey, no, no kidding, even like being sexy, like your identity is that, but then one day you're 65. <laughs> and hey, think about this for a minute. We, we all have seen people who probably used to feel more this way and they still think they are and they're not. And you're like, you're like grandma, you can't wear those kinds of jeans anymore, you know? <laughs> and a lot of the reasons they do it a lot of the reasons they do it is because of their identity. See, think about this. This is, this is about to get deep. You ready to go a little deeper on this? This is really big. This is a big deal. When, when, when your identity, kind of like when, when what you do, when, when what you do defines kind of who we are, your identity, that's what we're talking about. Your identity is circumstantial. It's fearful. It's crazy fragile. If, if what you do defines who you are, if what you do defines your identity, your identity is really fragile. It's completely circumstantial. And listen, it is 100% full of fear. If I could take you back to that therapy circle kind of leadership thing, I, I'm standing there and um, I, I, I'm there and I'm slowly taking these hands off of me. And um, you know, I'm like father, husband, pastor, preacher, speaker, consultant. I'm just making up stuff at this point, you know, to, to finish. And, and at the end, everybody now is sitting back down in their seats and I'm still standing here, you know, in the middle of the circle. And um, the therapist looks at me. She asked me this kind of penetrating question. She says, Gavin, now that all of that stuff is gone, who, who are you? 
Now that all of those things that you listed are completely gone, who, who are you? If I could get just super kind of personal um, for a minute, that, that was a real defining moment for me. Because up until that point, if you'd have said like, who are you? I would have said, oh, well, I'm a, I'm a pastor. Well, why? Well, because look how big this church is. Look how great this church is, you know? Because my successes were defining kind of who I was. My accomplishments were defining who I was. If you'd ask me like, how are things at home? I'm like, well, I'm a father, I'm a husband. Like, that's who I am and it's going well. I got four kids, you know? Like, things are good and they're pretty decent kids, you know? Like, I'm winning for the most part. Like, seems like it's going pretty well. I, I guess I'm good, my identity is good. But, but here's what I began to understand when she asked me that question. When it came to my life, what, what I did really defined who I was. What I did was defining who I was. And as, and as I stood there in the middle of that circle by myself with everything gone, that's the conclusion that I reached. Can I tell you what this does to your heart? It begins to destroy it. Be, because you're not always successful, are you? You're not always winning. I'm super competitive. I, I love to play sports. Um, I've spent the majority of my life playing sports, and I've also spent the majority of my life being so competitive that I would do anything to win no matter what it took. You know why? Be because if you win and your identity is wrapped up in what you're doing, then your identity is a winning, is a winner. But, but what if your identity is a loser? That doesn't feel good. Nobody wants to have a loser identity, so if your identity is tied up in, in what you do, you better be really good at what you do. You better win at what you do. I, I, I would, uh, if I look back at my career, I spent like 10 years working in the business community and um, I did everything I could to get promoted, to get raises, you know, to get more money. You know why? Because my identity was tied up in the things that, that I was doing. And so when you go in for like a, an annual review and the partner in the Atlanta office goes, hey Gavin, you're one of the best employees we've ever had here, we're gonna give you a huge raise. You don't, you don't you know, call your wife on the way home and go, wow, God is blessing us so much. You call your wife on the way home and you go, wow, man, I must be really good because I'm getting this big raise. And my identity is being formed by that. Here, here's some of the negatives. I, I can't even tell you how many things I've missed out on in my life because I didn't wanna fail at something. I, I didn't wanna take a risk and try something because if you try it and it doesn't go well, what happens to your identity? If it's fragile and it's circumstantial, it's fearful, it falls apart. I mean, this is so stupid. Like four years ago, I was um, in, at Rosemary Beach, kind of in 30A in that area. It's like Panama City, but not redneck, it's super nice. And so um, I had never paddleboarded before. Probably all of you have probably paddleboarded, most of you. You know, you've, you've probably done it or seen it, you know, like, and I'd never paddleboarded. And I thought, I really want to paddleboard. And we're here in the Gulf of Mexico, and the water is like emerald, and you can see the sharks. It's really cool. And so, so you know where not to fall. Like, it's the point. So I'm like, I think I'm going to paddleboard. My wife goes, Oh, well, you can rent them right there. I go over and ask the rental place. It's like $80 for the day, you know, it's a lot of money, but I can, you know, I can do that. And so I come back. My wife says, Hey, are, are you going to paddleboard? And I'm like, no, it's $80. And she's like, oh, that's okay. Like, I mean, we can afford $80 for the day if you really wanna do it. I'm like, no, I don't wanna do it. It's too much money. And I kind of talked about how much money it was. Do you, do you know why I didn't paddleboard that day? It had nothing to do with $80. The reason I didn't paddleboard that day is because I didn't wanna fail at paddleboarding. I didn't wanna lose at paddleboarding. Now, how do you even lose at paddleboarding? It's not even a competition. It's not like you're out there and everybody's going, who's the worst, who's the worst? Nobody cares, you know? Nobody cares. But when your identity is completely wrapped up in what you do, you avoid failure at all cost. You avoid taking risks at all cost. 
This is super important for you. You avoid relationships. You avoid trusting people. You avoid anything that could hurt your heart because if it tears something apart, it begins to define who you are. That's how identity works. When that begins to happen, we call it an identity crisis. And everybody who lives that way eventually has them, maybe multiple of them. Now here's the the great news. There is actually a much better alternative to that. Um, This guy named Paul tells us all about the alternative. Now, if you're not like a Jesus follower, you're not like a Jesus person, man, I'm super glad that you are here. Um, I don't really know how to help you though. (laughs) If you take Jesus out of this equation, I think my only advice to you is you better be really, really successful. Like you better not screw up. You better not get it wrong. You better never mess up. Because if your identity is gonna be built on the things that you do, you better do a lot of really great stuff. Luckily for the rest of us, there there is a much better alternative. This guy, Paul, I don't know how much you know about Paul. He was the most incredible doer of any doers you could ever imagine. Like if you were to ask Paul, who are you in the beginning of his adult life, he would have rattled off this huge list of stuff and it was super impressive. Like no matter how good you were, Paul was better than you. Like no matter how much you have accomplished, Paul had accomplished more than you. I mean, he was the best of the doers you could ever imagine. And his identity was built around all of that until he bumped into Jesus one day. In fact, um, after he planted all these churches and he wrote all these letters to the churches, and like if you open up your Bible, like two-thirds of your New Testament is made up of the letters that Paul wrote to all of these churches. If you read through those letters, he talks about himself and his identity all the time. And he talks about how he got it wrong for a long time. And then he kind of gives some clues about what to do to get it right. In one of the letters, here's kind of how he talks about how bad he was at getting it wrong, about being good at the wrong stuff. Here's kind of what he says. He says, though I, talking about himself, right, though I could have confidence in my own effort, meaning like if anybody could have confidence in their own behavior and being good, he's saying it's me, right? Though I could have confidence in my own effort, if anyone could. Indeed, if others have a reason for confidence in their own efforts, I have even more. Look what he says next. Um, I was circumcised when I was eight days old. I'm a pure-blooded citizen of Israel and a member of the tribe of Benjamin, a real Hebrew if there ever was one. He continues. Um, I was a member of the Pharisees who demand the strictest obedience to the Jewish law. I was so zealous that I harshly persecuted the church. And, And as for, he continues, and as for righteousness, I obeyed the law without fault. Here's what Paul's saying. Paul is saying that when it comes to being qualified by what you do, I'm better than you. Like when it comes to being successful, I'm better than you. When it comes to achieving things, I'm better than you. Like my identity is more solid than yours because I have followed every law. I have obeyed everything God has ever said. In fact, I'm so good at it, I'm in charge of making sure everybody else obeys it. That's what a Pharisee did. And Paul was the Pharisee of Pharisees. And then look what he says. He says, I once thought these things were valuable. Like I I once thought that my identity being defined by everything that I do was the way to do it. And I was really good at it. I once thought that was really valuable. But now, now I consider them worthless because of what Christ has done. Now, what has Christ done? You may ask, I'm so glad, let me tell you. He died for you to give you a better identity. Like Jesus literally hung on a cross and died so that your identity could be freed 
from being defined by what you do. Now think about how powerful that is. Because when you get it right and your identity is defined by that, it feels good, but then when things go wrong and your identity is defined by that, things feel bad. Think about it with God for a minute. This is what Paul was talking about. Think about how it would feel to be in a right standing with God only when you get it right. And then you screw up one time and now you and God aren't okay. And your identity with God is completely in shambles. That's kind of how Paul was living. And he says, I used, I used to think that was the way to do it until I realized what Jesus had done for me and given me this new opportunity to have a, a right standing. Not, not because of my behavior, but because of something way better. He kind of continues. He says, let me put it another way. He writes this letter to this church in Galatia. Right? He says, let me put it another way. The law was our guardian, meaning if my identity was secure, I obeyed the law really well. And if I did that, then I was guarded by it. That's kind of what he's saying, right? So the law was our guardian until Christ came. It protected us until we could be made right with God through not behavior, right? But through faith. He continues, and now that the way of faith has come, we no longer need the law as our guardian. Okay, that's kind of a fancy Paul way of saying that. <laughs> I used to think obeying God by obeying the law was the way that I had a better identity with God. Now I don't think that's true. I think that there's a completely new identity that I can have. So like, Paul, what is that identity, right? Like, like what is that, Paul? Like, who are we, Paul? If we're not the, the culmination, the summation of what we do, who are we Really? And Paul says, oh, I'm so glad you asked. Let me tell you who you are. He says, you are children of God through faith in Christ. That's actually your identity. As a Jesus follower, you are a child of God through faith in Christ. Now, here's the amazing thing about being a child of God. It has nothing to do with your behavior. It has nothing to do with what you do. In fact, it's completely free of that. Paul, in all these letters, goes on to define what it actually means to be a child of God. Can I tell you what some of those things are? I have a feeling you're gonna wanna live some of them. He says that as a child of God, that you're completely free. That you're completely free that nothing binds you anymore, nothing enslaves you anymore, that you are absolutely free to be fully you who God made you to be. You're free from performing for others. You're free from striving to be better. You're free from all of that mess. You're free just to be you. Can you imagine just for a second how that would feel if you could just live that out day to day? And Paul says that you can. It's a part of being a child of God. He says that, he says that you are righteous. Righteous is a fancy word for having a right standing with God. <laughs> and Paul says that you have a right standing with God not because of how good you are, but because of how good God has been towards you. That you can have a right standing with God for free because of grace. He, he says, this is one of my favorite ones. He says that you are new, that you are brand new that you are a new creation. Literally, that the old you is gone and the new you has come. And the new you is a child of God that's perfect and free from all the mess that happened before. He says that, this may resonate with some of you if you grew up kind of in a Catholic area. 
He says you're a saint. He, he doesn't say that, like, that Peter is a saint, right? He says that you're a saint too. And, and, and when you hear that, especially if you grew up Catholic, you hear that and you think, no, I'm not a saint. Like Peter is a saint. Paul is a saint. Like they name statues after these people. They build churches and name them after these people. Nobody's doing that for me. And while that may be true here, if God could build a church in your name, he would because he thinks of you in the same way. He thinks you're just as good as Peter. He thinks you're just as good as Paul. He thinks you're just as perfect as any of those people because you're a perfect child of God. Here's the last one. He, he thinks you're a masterpiece. I like art a lot. I um, like to draw, I like to design stuff. I, I've done some really crappy art <laughs> and I've done some things that I thought were okay. But to be a masterpiece, we, we, we kind of think of like the great painters, the great artists. God looks at you and he thinks, oh my gosh, you're perfect. You're a masterpiece. You're exactly what I want you to be as a child of God. Now, let me, let me just ask you, I mean, this is kind of a silly question, but which one of these would you prefer to live out of? Like which one of these would you prefer your identity to be built upon? The, the, here's the unfortunate part, and this is, this is kind of a deeper thing to think about. The unfortunate part is that you don't have a choice on having an identity. You're, you're gonna have an identity. The cool thing is that you get to choose which one of them you want. You get to choose if you want your identity to be circumstantial and fragile and full of fear. You get to decide if you want to be the summation of your successes and failures. You, you can decide that. Or you can decide to just adopt the identity that, that Jesus has given you. As a child of God, and you can decide to live free and righteous and new and as a saint and as a masterpiece. You can decide to live whole. You can decide to live treasured. You actually get to choose that. Now, the reason we get this wrong so much is because I think we intuitively know that there actually is a connection between these things. Like there really is a connection when it comes to our identity and what we do and who we are. There's a real connection. But, but here, here's the connection that we mess up. See, we think that what we do should be defined kind of by, by who we are, right? Like we, we think who we are should absolutely define, be defined by, by what we do. But, but that's not the real reality. There is a connection. And here's the connection. See, see, what we do, what we do should inform who we are. That's the connection. Think about this for a second. Like what you do what you do should not be defined by these things. What, I mean, sorry, who you are should not be defined by those things. Who you are should be defined by this. But when you begin to understand who you are, it does change and inform the things that you do. This is so important to understand. Can you imagine what kind of coach you would be if you truly felt free? if you felt whole, if you felt, if you felt that the success of your team didn't define your identity. Can you imagine what kind of coach you would be? Probably like none of the recreational father coaches we see, right? You've seen those dads screaming at eight-year-olds? Do you know why they're doing that? Because their identity isn't free. Their identity isn't whole. It's being defined by the wrong thing. Can you imagine? what kind of athlete you could be if you felt completely free regardless of the outcome, 
I was talking to a friend recently. His, his son is a professional golfer. We had this great conversation about this. And he said that his son lives and dies by every single shot he takes on the golf course. And if he makes a bad shot, his whole day falls apart and he can't ever recover. And he said, I don't know what to do. And I was like, oh, this is easy. Your, your, your kid's identity is screwed up. Your, your, your kid thinks that he's only as good as his last shot. And so when he makes a bad shot, his identity is all messed up. No wonder he can't recover. And I said, hey, what do you think your son would do? How do you think he would play if he felt completely free all the time? He was like, oh my gosh, he'd be incredible. I'm like, yeah, I know. He'd be incredible, and so would you. Can you imagine, some of you would love to imagine this, like, can you imagine dating a person who was free? Not like free to like cheat on you, but like free. (laughs) Can you imagine dating someone who was so secure in their identity that they could have real honest conversations about stuff they were feeling. They could be honest with you all the time. There was nothing really to hide because they were free. They were able to truly connect with you because they were free. Can you imagine? Can you imagine what it would feel like to date somebody who felt whole, who didn't feel the need for you to fill the void in their heart? The void was being filled by something greater, Jesus. And they loved you as an overflow of that, not so that you would love them back. Can you imagine? Well, yeah, I don't have time to tell you this. When I, when I was uh, married early, early in my marriage, I was like the most impressive husband, I thought, because I always did the dishes every night. Like I took the you know, kids to bed, like I bathed them. Like I tried to do all the right things as a husband. And for a long time, I did all the right things and was angry and upset all the time because I didn't feel like my wife was doing back to me what I was doing for her. And I realized one day sitting in a counselor's office that when you're loving somebody just so they will love you back, you're not really loving them. You're being selfish. (laughs) Do you know who does that? People who have the wrong identity. People who think that being a great husband defines who they are. That's what I used to do. I don't do that now. You know what I do now? I do the dishes because I love my wife. And if she says thank you, that's fine. If she doesn't, that's okay too. Because my heart isn't empty, it's, it's full. Because I truly believe that I'm whole. <laughs> Not because somebody tells me or somebody loves me, but because Jesus has told me that. Does that make sense? This is a deep idea. It's a game-changing idea for us. If I could take you back to that um, therapy session thing, um, I was standing in that circle and, and everybody had sat down and I'm standing there alone and um, the therapist you know, looked at me and she said, okay, so all of this stuff is gone. Who, who are you? And I remember standing there, I looked back and I answered. I said, I don't know. I, I, don't, I don't know. Like, like if all of this stuff is gone, uh, I don't really know who I am. I don't know. That was really hard to say because I mean, I grew up in the church. Like, I know the answer. Like, who are you? I'm a child of God. Like, I knew the answer. But if I was gonna be honest in that moment, I, I, I really couldn't answer that way. Because there's a difference between kind of knowing the answer and feeling the answer. You get what I'm saying? Like, there's a difference between knowing about Jesus and knowing Jesus. There's a difference between like knowing you're supposed to feel free and actually feeling free. And as I stood there that day, I, I just wasn't feeling any of that. Like I knew the answer, but 
I wasn't feeling any of that answers. In fact, that caused me to, to really do some deep digging in my heart. It's that hard work, you know, that introspection work, that asking the hard questions and not lying to yourself about the answers. I, I had to do a lot of that. I, I, ca- I flew home from California and I just thought about it the whole way home. And uh, after I got home, I went and visited with my mom and dad for a little bit. And my dad and I were sitting in the living room and my dad said, hey, tell me about the, the conference. And I said, well, first of all, it wasn't a conference. <laughs> it was a therapy session for five days. And uh, he said, oh, that sounds terrible. I said, it was, it was terrible. And uh, I told him about this conversation. I told him about that question, who are you? I don't know. And he looked at me and he said the most incredible thing. He said, Gavin, he said, I've known you your whole life. And I was like, well, that's for my dad. That makes sense. You know? <laughs> he said, I've known you your whole life. He said, you have always been so much more concerned about who you could become than who you just are. He said, you realize everything you want, you already have. You're just not holding on to it. Think about that. He said, as a Jesus follower, everything you want, peace, hope, comfort, all that stuff, you you already have all of it. You you just don't know it. You're just not holding on to it. That's what began to kind of repair my heart. And I'm so glad that I can stand here today and tell you that I'm a completely different person than I was three or four years ago. And it's because I don't need to be validated by others. I'm not striving to be better. Like I'm not trying to perform really well, you know? Like I'm not trying to do a good job tonight so that Samer tells me later, ooh, you should come back, that was good. Like I don't, I don't care. I mean, I hope he enjoys it, but honestly, I don't care, you know? Because I just wanna do good because I think the message of Christ is worth good, that's why. I don't wanna do it so that you think I'm good. I don't, it doesn't matter, you know? Because that's what free people get to do. So can I ask you a question? Who are you? And this is a, it's a deep question. It's gonna take some work to answer. But, but who are you really? Like, are you the summation of your accomplishments? Or are you your successes? Are you the things that you do? Or, or are you something deeper? Are you something better? Are you something freer? That's actually a potential. For, for some of you, like this, this is, you've never thought about this before, and you're not even a Jesus follower, you know? I'd love for you to consider being one. I, I mean, if nothing else, this is worth doing it. It's worth following Jesus just to be set free of all that crap in your heart. It's worth it just for that. And there's way more than just that, but it's worth it for that. And some of you though, some of you have been following Jesus for a long time, but you're still like striving and you're still trying to perform and you're still so concerned about managing your image and you're so concerned about what other people think of you. And it's because your identity is just confused. What would it look like for you to get to know Jesus in a way that your identity became freed of that? And instead of reading that you're a child of God, you would own that you're a child of God. Like instead of kind of knowing it intellectually, you would feel it deeply. What would it look like for that to be true for you?